Friday, October the 8th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, an American debt ceiling deal and Britain loosens its travel rules. First, the world in brief. Lawmakers from America's two parties struck a short-term deal to raise the debt ceiling, averting a sovereign default in 11 days. Republican senators, intransigent until now, abandoned their blockade. The agreement raises the cap by $480 billion and covers government borrowing until December 3rd. Before its expiry, Congress will have to raise the debt limit and fund the government for the long term. America was reported to have been sending special forces to Taiwan to train its army for the possibility of an invasion from mainland China. Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, said her country seeks to avoid war, quote, but, she added, quote, will do whatever it takes to defend its freedom. Separately, the CIA announced the organisation of a high-level unit to focus solely on China. Pfizer and BioNTech asked America's Food and Drug Administration to approve their COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. If the agency's scientific advisers recommend the jab at their meeting later this month, it could be available by November. The firms say that the vaccine induces a strong paediatric immune response, similar to that in adolescents, for whom it is already approved. Britain reduced the number of countries from which travellers must quarantine on arrival, from 54 to 7. It would also consider more people given jabs abroad to be fully vaccinated. Colombia, the Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Haiti, Panama, Peru and Venezuela remain on its, quote, red list. Soon, Britain will also replace the required PCR test on arrival with a cheaper antigen one. Ireland agreed to a global tax deal brokered by the OECD that will involve charging a 15% minimum corporate tax on large firms. It had resisted out of concern that abandoning its 12.5% rate, one of the lowest in the rich world, would prompt companies to leave, taking jobs and revenue. Ireland can keep the lower rate for firms with turnover under 750 million euros, 867 million dollars. Poland's Constitutional Court rejected the supremacy of European Union law over member states' national legislation. The European Commission quickly disputed the Polish Tribunal and said the ruling raised, quote, serious concerns. The court's decision will delight the ruling Law and Justice Party, a right-wing populist outfit which the EU has accused of politicising the courts and undermining the rule of law. Russia's special representative on Afghanistan said that the Taliban would be invited to Moscow for talks on October 20th, according to Russian news agencies. China, India, Iran and Pakistan will also attend. The gathering will follow a meeting of G20 countries on October 12th to discuss the humanitarian situation in Afghanistan. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the Taliban will not be present. And fact of the day, $75, the price a tonne of carbon would have to reach to meet the ambitions of the Paris Agreement, according to the IMF. The current global average 
is $3. And now, here's today's agenda. Not so hot. America's job market. America has an acute labour shortage. Some 11 million positions remain vacant. Economists hoped that number would fall in September as schools reopened and generous unemployment aid expired, nudging people back to work. But the Delta variant put pay to that. Hiring had slowed in August, all but vanishing in close contact sectors such as leisure and hospitality. When the Department of Labour reports September's non-farm payrolls on Friday, forecasters expect employers to have added a modest 300,000 jobs. That would push the unemployment rate down to 5.1%, still above its pre-pandemic level of 3.5%. The Federal Reserve wanted evidence of labour market recovery before winding down its emergency bond-buying stimulus programme. It has probably seen enough already. A tepid jobs report will not prevent it from starting tapering after it meets in November. Jerome Powell, chair of the central bank, said he wanted to see, quote, decent but not necessarily, quote, knockout gains. The Fed's overriding concern is now reigning in inflation. Festivus comes early. Macron and Africa. On Friday, President Emmanuel Macron of France will hold an African summit with a twist. No African leader is invited. Instead, as its centrepiece, Achille Mbembe, a Cameroonian writer and outspoken critic of France's Africa policy, will host a dialogue between the President and a dozen young people. With some 3,000 participants attending the summit, the idea is to give both sides the chance to voice grievances freely. Franco-African tensions are high. France runs a 5,100-strong anti-jihadist operation in the Sahel region, though Mr Macron intends to reshape and shrink the force. That led Mali's military government to accuse France of abandoning the country. Worried that the junta might hire Wagner, a Russian mercenary outfit, France warned that international military help could not be guaranteed if it did. Mr Macron, meanwhile, irritated Algeria by criticising its regime and cutting the number of visas issued to its citizens, as well as to Moroccans and Tunisians. Airing grievances is one thing, overcoming them is another. Like father, like daughter? The Philippine presidential election. Candidates for the Philippines presidential election next year must register by Friday. Strangely absent so far is outgoing President Rodrigo Duterte's daughter, Sala Duterte, despite her currently leading in opinion polls. Mr Duterte's supporters hope she is as strong-willed as her authoritarian and hugely controversial father. Mr Duterte will be praying she can shield him from prosecution for his war on drugs, which has killed thousands of Filipinos. If she does run, she will not be the only famous name in the race. Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of a late despot, and Manny Pacquiao, formerly a world champion boxer, are both competing. 
If Miss Duterte misses the registration deadline, she may still step in as a substitute for a registered candidate, if any withdraw. That is how Mr Duterte started his late run for presidency six years ago. His daughter may follow in his footsteps. On the mend, mostly. India's economy. The Reserve Bank of India's Monetary Policy Committee is expected to keep the benchmark interest rate unchanged at 4% at its meeting on Friday. Inflation, currently at 5.3%, is below the central bank's medium-term upper limit of 6%. The nationwide vaccination campaign has accelerated, allowing malls and offices to reopen. Demand for consumer goods is expected to spike during a festive season that kicked off yesterday. The services sector, blighted by layoffs, is recruiting again. Last month, the Sensex, an index of India's 30 biggest companies, reached a record high. On Tuesday, Moody's, a ratings agency, upgraded India's sovereign rating from quote, negative to quote, stable. It expects real GDP to reach pre-pandemic levels this year. But not all is rosy. Banks' non-performing assets could rise to 15% of total loans by the end of the Indian financial year on March 31st. That would be the worst ratio of bad to good debt since the turn of the century. Footnotes The New Order of Trade In this week's special report, Sumeya Keynes, our Britain economics editor, investigates the biggest threats to international commerce and explains how trade has become a tool to deliver humanitarian and environmental goals. The foundations of the multilateral trading system have come under assault, she writes, from several directions. The World Trade Organization's clunky processes have recently taken a back seat to displays of unilateral power. Sumeya found this foreign policy article by Richard Cooper from 1972 useful in comparing modern trade tensions with those of the 1970s, helping her understand why the WTO exists in its present form. The COVID-19 pandemic has undermined confidence in the resilience of existing supply chains. President Joe Biden, for example, ordered a review of them during his first 100 days in office. The resulting report gives insight into how the administration thinks about supply chain vulnerabilities and the information officials lack. Global trade still has its champions. This recent World Bank report explains how it benefits poor countries. Economists at the WTO have created an index to assess the relative costs of trade policy differences and logistical barriers to understand the costs of moving things across borders. It is helpful for thinking through the effects of intervention. As trade is increasingly used to pursue non-trade goals, such as reducing emissions or punishing human rights abuses in Xinjiang, policymakers should recognise the risk of asking it to do too much. For more on the future of trade, follow Sumeya on Twitter and listen to her Trade Talks podcast. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Harriet Taylor Mill, who was born on this day in 1807.
The proper sphere for all human beings is the largest and highest which they are able to attain to. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.